And now a word from our sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. Well, first of all, it's free. And who doesn't love free? There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And that way we can get closer to the bag. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is episode three of the Ali Family Podcast. So yeah, another week. You know, there's a lot of things happening. We want to still continue to highlight some of the things that are happening, but bring it back to what's important and just us celebrating Black love, Black excellence. That's really important. A little more technical this episode, so a little bit more around streaming platforms, ways that people are listening to music, what people are listening to, but just wanted to get a little bit more into that. There's definitely some news coming out around the stimulus checks. I know for people um, are looking forward to seeing what's coming, family size, businesses. So yeah, we've talked a lot about streaming. You have different types of streaming, but specifically, we just want to focus on music. So what's your preferred music platform to stream on? Mention a few, and then we can narrow it down to like why the one is your favorite. Pandora is the first thing that comes to mind just because I've used it for so many years. When we started dating, you introduced me to other (laughs) platforms of of streaming music. Um, Whatever the music that you save on my phone is, what is that platform? (laughs) So that's iTunes. Okay, iTunes. Yeah, Apple, iTunes, and Pandora. That's really all I use. Yeah. True. How about you? So, for me, it's a little bit more wide. I listen to whatever's free first. There's nothing that we're paying any monthly subscription for. So, I'll say that first. iTunes, for sure. Spotify. We celebrate Black excellence, right? So, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't mention Title. Title is no longer majority Black-owned. So, a big deal. Jay-Z did sell his majority stake of title to Jack Dorsey. He's involved in a lot, just between Cash App, Twitter, a few of those different things. But yeah, Cash App is now the majority stakeholder of title, um, in addition to the musicians that had original stake within the platform. So there's a couple of uh, platform updates. I had said something last pod, and... It really just happened, so I, I do want to touch back on that. But, yeah, so title historically has been majority Black-owned. When I first got an update with Sprint, they had given me a few months free trial just to experience it. Mm-hmm. And while it was free, I did enjoy it, so I can't say that I didn't love the platform. But just for it to be a paid monthly subscription, it wasn't something that I just wanted to budget my dollars for them to go somewhere else. And, you know, we talk about 
our financial goals. And I, I couldn't justify that monthly payment to Title when there were some other free platforms. So for new music, Spotify is where I hear and listen to a lot of the new music. Um, it's a free version. It's not the premium version. So I know there's a few things that I don't have access to, but I can find what I'm looking for. So yeah, for me, the number, the top two would be Spotify and iTunes. Yeah. You talked a little bit about Title not being majority Black-owned with Jay-Z selling. Sidebar, I've been looking into hair care products that are Black-owned. And if you look online, a lot of them will say Black-founded. A lot of those, those individuals or groups you know, they sold it off to a different company. So when something is, like, was Black-owned, it's not Black-owned anymore, that individual who used to own it, the founder, mm -hmm. they become sort of independently wealthy. But as people continue to buy those products, they're not putting that dollar into a necessarily Black pocket. Jay-Z's not getting any more money from Title. I'm not 100% sure. I think he mm -hmm. still has equity in the, um, I think the way that the deal worked out is that he gets some equity with the company that purchased it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. he just no longer owns the majority of it. He's not owning it. Mm -hmm. um, how dollars come in and whatever deal they work out might still increase his overall value based mm -hmm. off of how the companies end up doing some things going forward. There's a lot of speculation that with Cash App being the purchaser um, and also the relationship with Twitter and the musicians, it might align itself with just a very easily accessible way for music to just come out without having any additional parties outside of that one company mm -hmm. where you have the paywall, the social media stream, and also the artists. So his catalog, I mean, his catalog is also a part of that so he'll continue to make dollars as music is sold on a streaming level mm -hmm. um, but yeah just the ownership part is the main part that I'm really aware of the last episode we talked about our favorite social media platforms and I had mentioned that one of the reasons that Instagram was one of my favorite platforms was because of verses mm -hmm. and verses also <laughs> yeah verses just sold their majority stake to Triller. Um, Triller is a social media app. Um, if you kind of were aware of some of the celebrity fights, I know Triller did some of those celebrity fights. Um, Triller. Like they, boxing fights? Yeah, the one with Mike Tyson and was it Roy Jones? Really? It might have been Mike Tyson and Roy Jones, but the undercard was the one that got more um, popular. It was um, Nate Robinson had got knocked out <laughs> and a lot of people just talked about it because um, he's a little guy he was um, fighting the bigger guy and he just got knocked out so that kind of became the talk but yeah I want to say it was Roy Jones that Mike Tyson was fighting and that was done through that app trailer and they've been doing some pretty cool stuff I know they have a house out in California um, I think it's LA they have a house out there where they kind of just create content and just do some fun stuff. But yeah, they've done some stuff on YouTube, mm -hmm. on other channels. Um, other people have good stuff going on. Maybe we might get to a point where we get some collaborations and can highlight what some other YouTube channels are doing. But 
Yeah, so similar deal. Um, Timberland and Swiss Beats will be a part of the musical division of Trilla. They are in some level of equity within the brand, but yeah, Versus is is no longer going to be shown visually through Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think there will still be a portion of it that's available through Instagram, but a lot of people have said like the visual experience that Instagram offers is a little choppy, but the comments on Instagram are what I like it for. So I watch it to be on Instagram. I know there's going to be that one person with all of the flags going across in the comments and just seeing everybody with the funny comments going back and forth. So yeah, I like it for the comments. So I still will most likely watch it on Instagram. But yeah, just back to, um, I know we kind of got into music a little bit. We'll still have to see what happens with those deals, but it does make me think about just like the type of music that we like. I think you had kind of mentioned that you would listen to a lot more gospel and that was really where your listening had been solely. I got rid of all of my music that wasn't gospel and I was rocking out through probably college so like yeah high school college and then probably after I started to listen back to some of the types of music that I did before so I certainly do love and enjoy gospel but I would have to say my preferred music is 90s R&B very specific time and genre right exactly I talked about you know Pandora the stations that I listen to most on there are like 90s R&B. Top five artists, who would you say? We know from last pod that I love Lauren Hill. She wouldn't be considered a 90s R&B artist. She sang a little doo-wop. In that doo-wop song, which was the title of the song, I don't think that came out in the 90s. That was after the 90s, right? No, that was 90s. Was it 90s? You know what? We already know the answer to this because we talked last part about her reaching diamond level in sales with her Miseducation Lauren Hill album being 20 years old. Mm -hmm. So this is is 2021. That came out in 2001. So yeah, she missed the 90s. Just missed it. Just just by a bit. So top five 90s artists. Brandy. I feel like during the verses, she was trying to get Monica in yeah, a group, but Monica wasn't she, trying to be in that group of Brandy. She wasn't having it. No. no. Um, Brandy, for sure. Um, Monica. Not just because you said that. That was, she was on my list too. Okay. Um, and you know, of course, they had the the rivalry around their song together, The Boy Is Mine. Um, so that got a lot of like airtime and a lot of like teeny bopper girls' households and everything, but... They're, you know, they're separate projects. I really enjoyed. Um, they have some hits. That's why I love that Versus that they did together. Yeah, that was, that was a classic Versus. It really was. Um, so the two of them. And then groups. If I think about groups, I'd have to say Boys to Men. Oh, my goodness. We went and saw them. Yeah. In concert, live. Valentine's Day weekend 2019. Yes. They, they put on a great show. They really do. They, they really do. do. And it's funny. You see all their different personalities. Um, I'm down. Yeah. yeah, that was my. I was singing. That was my favorite one. Everybody, <laughs> everybody in the crowd was singing along with everybody. that one came in. Mm-hmm. And to the end of the road. They had some hits. Yeah, those 
But that part was fun to sing because everybody in the crowd was singing along. They were. It was a movie that we watched. And at the end of the movie, everybody in the movie theaters was also singing to the end of the road. Mm. That Boys to Men song. Oh, yeah. I don't remember what movie it was, but it was funny just to like hear everybody break out and sing in concert. They should do a versus. That would be a good one. We got to get into who would be the matchup for them. Just We're at three. We have Brandy, Monica, Boys to Men. Yes. Uh, I, this next one is also a group that could potentially go toe to toe with boys to men. But boys to men, they're like crooners, good guys. Oh, sweetie, I'm I'm down. I'm bending knee. What did I do to upset you today? <laughs> the other guys are. They have a lot of baby, baby, please. Actually, that's the that's going in the background of all their music, baby, baby, please. But they're not quite as vanilla as the boys to men. These guys are, do you know? Jodeci? Jodeci. I knew it. I knew it. The bad boys are R&B. Kind yeah. of. So, Jodeci, but I'd also say Casey and JoJo together. That's all, yeah. It's, a, it's the same thing. Because, you know. A the whole package. Yeah. Jodeci is the four guys. Casey and JoJo were the two brothers that carried the group. They are, the, anytime you hear a Jodeci song, you hear their voices. So, all that. <laughs> Casey and JoJo, Jodeci. But they all played their part. You know, I know Dalvin. I always hear that name. I never heard that name before. Dalvin. Devante, I've heard. Dalvin is in <laughs> Jodeci. What? I promise you. Dalvin is in Yeah, Jodeci. man. Like, some people just did choreography. Some people just wrote lyrics. Some people put the oh, okay. like, Yeah, they all were. Oh, like, I appreciate you know, that. I didn't steps, realize the other yeah. brothers did something. Yeah, there was some people I just remember... There. Um, JoJo saying, Devonte sing! And then whoever <laughs> sung after that wasn't Devonte's voice, it was like Casey or something, I think. Okay. Or um, Dalvin. Or Dalvin. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know there was a guy with that name in that group. So that's my four. Ooh, who am I going to get five to? My fifth, the fifth spot in that top five 90s R&B, Joe. Joe. I also have... Okay. Yes, I also have a station. Is Joe 90s? Is he 90s? Was he? He's been around for so long. He's still relevant. Absolutely. They say it's a big, rich town. Yeah, yeah. that's Joe. Yeah. The intro to Power. Power. Yeah, I have a station on Pandora for Joe. That's a great question that makes me feel good inside when I think about 90s R&B. It was a good era. It was. That's when people referred to that time as the golden era. I think they do it with hip-hop as well. Mm -hmm. I think so. So, so it's a range. It's maybe a, a longer range for hip-hop. But I'm, I'm going hip-hop. I'm not going to niche it down that much. The era not makes like it a little bit tougher. Yeah, it's tougher. <laughs> Back in the 70s, it was a hip-hop. Yeah. You had to be DJ something with your B-boy stance. Right. Yeah, so just my quick... Top five. It's a combo. Probably more when I started listening. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it's Kendrick, Jay-Z, Nas. So that's my three. Mm -hmm. Kendrick, Jay-Z, Nas. I'm going to keep it a little more current. I'm going to keep it to people that are alive also. Okay. That's so that's, that's going to, we'll mm -hmm. just say that. Tupac and Biggie would be up there, but I'm definitely just staying with my top five alive. Mm -hmm. So I'm going, say Jay-Z, Nas, Kendrick, 
Drake because he does rap sometimes, <laughs> and when he raps, it's good. Mm-hmm. You know, he always just likes to do do the melodics. Mm-hmm. And Kanye, that's my Kanye Drake. I feel like they're similar. They're in a similar bag. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to put them two together. Same with Jay-Z and Nas. You kind of have to put them two together. And then Kendrick's just kind of everywhere. Like, he's representing the West Coast, but also representing some positive, conscious music, but also party music. He's, hey, we're waiting for a Kendrick Lamar album. Yes, my favorite rap song is DNA by Kendrick Lamar. Seriously. Loyalty and royalty inside my DNA. DNA. Maybe... His last album was 2017. People get excited when they just see a social media post from Kendrick. Like, yeah, it's been a little bit. I think he's just crafting. He's in the lab. They say he's well. I think he's just living life. He has a family. He has mm-hmm. wife. I'm not sure if he has children. He keeps that, all that stuff pretty private. But mm-hmm. hopefully he's just living life. And he'll, he'll drop something soon. Those are my five. Yeah, just want to take a quick, quick break from the from the music talk, and just kind of highlight black media. Mm-hmm. I rem- it is kind of it's kind of related to music talk in a way because I remember, okay, I didn't have cable, but I had friends and cousins that had cable, so I I knew what was happening on cable, and b- black entertainment television, right? BET. At one point, that was black owned. We have to go back. You know, it's not that recent, but yeah, it used to be black owned mm-hmm. and it was a huge media platform. And I understand that it's no longer black owned, but they do still have like, that's kind of like the question you brought up. Like once the person who created something sells it, mm-hmm. do they still have a responsibility to the legacy of what they created and sold? Oh, that's the question. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. I don't know because mm-hmm. Robert Johnson mm-hmm. sold it, cashed out, bought a team, right? Bought bought a whole NBA team. Mm-hmm. Became the first black African American owner of a NBA team. So big, definitely big deal. Viacom, it's not been the same. They got rid of a lot of their flagship shows. They replaced a lot of their people. So I'm not going to go all the way back on that. But just for black media, digital, let's just say digital black media, because there is still print media. Um, I know we have some magazines that are classic magazines. If you grew up in the kind of household that I grew up, you had some of those magazines on your table. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Jet, Ebony, Essence, Essence, for sure. Like those are magazines that were... a staple but even not just in your house but especially if you got went to a hair salon or barber shop like mm-hmm. those were out there even to bring it back to music a little bit the source mm-hmm. that was a big one the internet kind of replaced a lot of the physical paper so i know there's those things.com right so there's essence.com there's the source.com but as far as just media platforms it's really important to have those black media platforms Black-owned media platforms mm-hmm. where we know that we can go and get some unbiased news or unbiased information that is really 
beneficial to us, not just entertaining us, not just there for our leisure, or, but really just something that's benefiting us. Like I know um, when I went to college, they had told us about the one for the businesses. Oh yeah, Black Enterprise. Black Enterprise, mm-hmm. yeah. They're, they're still online, mm-hmm. right? You wouldn't think about it because that magazine became so prevalent, but these people do still have websites. But when you think about those overall websites that you get your information from, a lot of those aren't the main websites that are black owned. And I know that we're kind of more in an app space where there's a lot of apps that also provide news. And there are some good ones. There are some really good black apps Mm -hmm. that have some helpful information. So, okay, so we're gonna get to the apps. We'll get to the apps. (laughs) But just to bring it back to the importance of just the black media, YouTube has been a huge platform. That's one of the biggest reasons that we even decided to want to do something is to kind of have an outlet and for YouTube to be a great way where it's visible. Um, As far as the algorithm goes, that's different. We can only be found if people are searching for it, but it's at least information that we can put out. Um, Besides that, I think we do a good job of using other platforms that aren't majority black owned to get our media out but where are those black owned media outlets that are incentivizing people to just join byron allen um has a few different media outlets but that's been a little controversial where it hasn't been media that's been beneficial to black people and it hasn't been content that's interesting to black people and there's black women who have been suppressed and held down um, and not uplifted through that media so yeah we can have it but how are we utilizing it so i look at this as just like an opportunity for us to just share our platform with others for us to share the information that we've gathered and really to just this is us building our black media platform and always looking at the conversations that we're having as just layers and legacy that's being left. We have some exciting news. You're probably finding this on YouTube. We are also on Spotify. So that's something that's pretty cool. So hopefully you're listening to us on Spotify and watching us on YouTube. Um, So yeah, just wanted to throw that in there. Hold on, I said all of that and didn't even mention a relevant black owned media company that I actually even use on a daily basis or support. I don't even know. You mentioned it. There's so many sales and transactions that have happened. I don't know who owns what. Um, I would say I was going to lean towards the source because I do still check out the source, um, the source.com, but I don't know if they're black owned. I want to highlight um, Blavity, Blavity.com. That is one that I do actually use a lot of i get email updates from them i think i subscribed to their newsletter at one point and they started to just send me information blavity is a place that i found them to be pretty accurate and pretty generous with the way that they share their news what about you there are a couple of apps yeah let's get into the apps let's let's highlight the apps yeah there are a couple of apps that are search engines for finding Black-owned businesses. Pulling it up on my phone right now. One of those Black business directories is called Black Nation. 
And then the other one is BWS, Black Wall Street. Probably at the beginning of the pandemic, I was looking for more black sources for, you know, information and wanting to support black business heavy. And so that's when I was first introduced those. I think you might have told me about um, one or two of them. One thing that the apps do have is there there is a lot of similar products. So there's a lot of the same hair care products. There's a lot of the same beauty products, um, which makes sense. I guess if, if the target is women, um, for sure, those are important. You know, with makeup, lifestyle, hair, clothes, you know, those are a lot of the businesses and brands that I've seen in that. Mm-hmm. And I, there's ways to talk about all businesses that are doing good service or good products. The thing that I don't see too much are directories that that recognize what we're doing as well as highlighting Black businesses. Because this is also a Black business when you talk about social media, um, podcasting, blogging. You're creating income and you're producing a product that could also potentially be a service depending on how it's used. And it's something that a lot of us kind of play around with. You know, when you look at a lot of the influencers and a lot of the people who are in that content creation world, it's not a lot of black people in that space, but it's a lot of black people who are on those devices and apps that are viewing it. So much gets drilled down into us that, you know, you have to produce a tangible product you know, if it's not a, at one point in time, if it was a, if it wasn't considered a brick and mortar physical location, that was even hard for people to recognize that you had a business. If mm-hmm. they couldn't go in and see what it was, like e-commerce was like, whoa, what is e-commerce? How do you, what? I know people that are a little, a little bit older or just a little more not openly to just be early adapters that Mm -hmm. when I would tell them about Amazon or when I would tell them about just all different things online, it was really not as quickly to just want to try those things or see those things or even see the business side of things. I definitely utilized e-commerce at earlier points in life to, to make money. And it just wasn't something that a lot of us really talked about as an opportunity to really look at like a long-term business plan. That was just a quick little aside just to kind of talk about that. But yeah, the apps are useful. Like just to know what's locally around here. It's cool to see the businesses that are here that I didn't know about. You know, some of them, I think there was a couple of automotive companies that I didn't even know were close around. So that was cool just to see like some, you know, some black mechanics. There were a lot of black restaurants. That's another one of my gripes about the app, if I'm being honest, because we already know where the black restaurants are. In our city, there's not a lot of them. I can count them all on both of my hands. And I just think that's another one of the categories that's oversaturated on these apps. Like, you know, obviously people need to eat, so I understand that, but I would just like to see more businesses highlighted or just have us think about putting more of our businesses on here that just aren't clothes, hair, hair and makeup, food. and food. Yes. Yeah. 
that's just my personal gripe. But I had found those apps to be useful, so I'll probably start using them more also. I mean, we're talking about Black-owned apps, talking about sources of media. Last pod, we were looking forward to certain Black media i'm picking up what you're putting down we recently watched coming to america start with the positive mm-hmm. so it was cool to see that it's the number one movie in america mm-hmm. the streaming worked out perfectly for us because we do kind of perfect segue we do online business and shopping with amazon so amazon prime was something that we already had that made it free for us to view. Before coming to America too, I would have to give the disclaimer that the first coming to America is in my top five favorite movies of all time. So I already had coming to America in a very high esteem, but I did go into this with no expectations. I didn't expect this to be as funny, you know? There was a lot of talk before it came out when they had talked about some of the different ideas and concepts that they wanted to use. And Ryan Coogler had pitched an idea where he would direct it and have Michael B. Jordan play the lead, um, play Eddie Murphy's son. And that sounded like a great idea. (laughs) So I'll just say that I'm a huge fan of Ryan Coogler. Whenever him and Michael B. Jordan team up, it's an instant classic. That is black excellence. Ryan Coogler is undefeated when it comes to his content that he's created. And Michael B. Jordan is also more recently undefeated with his relationship status and his movies that he's been a part of. Um, Definitely a fan of his moves. (laughs) Undefeated. like With his relationship status. So the person that he's in a relationship with or the fact that she's a black woman? I love both. I love the fact that she's a black woman. Mm -hmm. And I also appreciate that they both could have probably went either direction and chosen any partner, but they found some happiness with each other. Mm -hmm. So definitely that's a plus. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just the idea that coming to America would have had Michael B. Jordan in it would have been really cool. I'm sure he would have did it for the love and not really even needed like the big bag to do it. Because he's been in some really good black films or films where he's been a a strong black lead to me makes it a black film. So Mm -hmm. that's something that I really appreciated his work of. But to the movie, I would say it was a good movie. It's worth watching. I wish they could have went either left or right with it, but they kind of stayed in the middle. So... Mm -hmm. It's not quite a family-friendly movie. I couldn't have a child under the age of 10 watch the movie with me. So it wasn't in that level of, you know, Eddie Murphy makes a lot of family-friendly movies, like where the little kids can watch and the adults can watch and everybody can enjoy that. So Mm -hmm. there were some things in the movie where you wouldn't want a 10-year-old or younger to watch it. Mm -hmm. But then it wasn't really mature content enough to the point where as an adult, the edge was never approached. Like they never took it to the other side. Mm-hmm. So they were, I feel like it was in the middle um, as far as the comedy, mm-hmm. like it didn't really go there. Yeah. Like there were some things that were kind of funny. 
I like the family lineage jokes when they were talking about the ancestry of Eddie Murphy and his father and his father and his father. Mm -hmm. There were some funny things there. I think there were some funny things when they went to New York and was in the the Spoiler, family. No, they no, go no. Back to America. Well, yeah, they go back to America. They do. They, he does go back to New yeah. York. <laughs> I don't think that's too much of a spoiler. Okay. If you've seen the trailer, you at least saw that they were trying to go back to America. You know what, America. you're right. Yeah. You don't know why. <laughs> we're not going to tell you why he went back to America. But he was in America, and they were in a couple of different funny environments. They mm-hmm. they went back to the barbershop in New York. Mm-hmm. That was pretty funny. Like, mm-hmm. that, that was really funny to me. Yeah, that might have been the funniest scene for me when they were at the barbershop. And then at the end, oh, I won't spoil it, but a special, a special performer makes. There were, I think, the musical, the musical performances for me were the most enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily funny, but enjoyable. Like, I enjoyed the musical performances. There were some really unexpected musical performances, yeah. legendary musical performances. Mm-hmm. Those are my highlights. So what about you? Okay. Um, sidebar, I know you talked about Ryan Coogler's pitch to direct with uh, Michael B. Jordan. I think it's too, I mean, obviously Michael B. Jordan was in The Black Panther. Um, that is about Africa. <laughs> it was set in Africa. And in that movie, he played an American kind of going back to his father's homeland in Africa. And if he were in Coming to America, that's that would have been um, a half American black man and a half African black man. I think it would have been too too much overlap. People would have watched it like, oh, here, this brother go again. He's, he's got to play every American black and African black <laughs> man. He, he's not, he doesn't define everybody's experience. So I would imagine maybe that's why Eddie Murphy was like, no, Ryan Kluger, sir, nah, good. <laughs> no, no, because I don't trust Eddie Murphy's judgment anymore. Oh. <laughs> I, so I was listening to, you just, I'm going to sidebar your sidebar. Okay. I was listening to an interview with Arsenio Hall mm-hmm. where he said, <laughs> I was watching an interview with Arsenio Hall where he said Eddie Murphy wanted Tracy Morgan to play his son. I hope that That's, was just a no, joke. No, that was serious. No, he was serious. <laughs> Tracy Morgan's in the movie. I think the only reason Tracy Morgan's in this movie is because Eddie Murphy told probably like wanted him to be his son originally and then didn't work out. Um, so, dang, is that a spoiler? Well, we did kind of spoil it a little bit because we talked about Ryan Coogler wanted Michael B. Jordan to play the son. Yeah. So there is a son. Um, I don't know if that's a huge spoiler. Maybe mini spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Um, the son was a character that Eddie Murphy wanted, wanted Tracy Morgan to play. And Ryan Coogler had thought that Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan would have been a good role for the son. So for me, um, I feel like that was where a, a larger part of the letdown for me came from that role. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that 
I don't feel that the person who played the role of the son commanded enough. He didn't. He didn't take it there. Like mm-hmm. he didn't command the role, and yeah, I I think that would that would have been a role. You know, there were. I think there were so many heavy hitters in the movie, mm-hmm. so many big names for that role. It should have been a, a big name or somebody that we knew. I do agree with you on that one. I think they tried to do too much mm-hmm. in this movie. They I think did. that was part of it. For sure. Because in the original... Okay, this isn't a spoiler. The movie's old. Everybody's seen the original. In the original, <laughs> it was a very specific storyline. Like, he was coming from Zamunda to find his queen. He looked at the globe and was like, Oh, Queens. Mm-hmm. That's where you go to find your queen. Right. So they went to Queens mm-hmm. and then went through all of this shenanigans to find the queen... And eventually, you know, found his queen and went back to Zamunda, mm-hmm. right? You know, there obviously, there's, there's a lot more that happened in the movie, but mm-hmm. it was a very, there was one storyline and they followed all the way through. With this, okay, we gave partial spoiler, like there's a son, mm-hmm. right? So going to Zamunda to find the son Like, the whole movie could have just been centered around that. Mm -hmm. And I think it would have been better if they Mm -hmm. just focused on that and then made the son a stronger lead. But there were other characters. There were... There was just too much other stuff going on that took away... And it all sort of was bunched into, however, like a two-hour... You're right. Too many stories. Not even two hours. Like Less than. Yeah, like a little more than an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah, it was too much. Mm-mm. It was way Agreed. too much. It was too much. And I felt like some of the African American characters, they were portrayed um in very stereotypical ways from what I was seeing. So, um and then the African, well, not all of them, but many of them, the black African characters were portrayed um sort of with positive stereotypes, I, I suppose. Um, More, so when you say black Africans, not African-Americans, the, like the, the, the Zamundians. Oh, yeah, okay, got it. Yep, yeah, that yeah. is true. Zamundians, I don't know the what Zimundians, they're called. Yeah, I don't know. That is true. That is true. Yeah, so, um, I mean, it's, okay, so coming to America, a franchise is like, it's, it's a funny movie, it's a comedy, and so from, you know, the first coming to America, some of the, the black Africans, they were, I would say, stereotyped for comedy's sake, sort of as, like, you know, silly and, like, happy or whatever. Um, and just the fact that, like, oh, in Africa, they're kings and queens, which they certainly are, but like... Um, but he thought they were queens. That He came to New York because he thought there were queens in America, too. For sure, but just this inflated idea of like black people in America thinking about Africa. There are kings and queens over there and like su- such elevation above status over here. True. I just, I don't think we can compare the first movie because the first movie was so good with that. Like, they did a good job including the culture shock 
of like thinking that you were gonna see one thing and then seeing something different. Like I think the first movie like really captured the culture shock. It broke down those stereotypes. I think so. Like McDowell's, mm -hmm. like the family was a you know he owned. <laughs> He owned, he owned a, you know, it wasn't McDonald's, it's McDonald's, mm -hmm. but, you know, very respectable family. Like, mm -hmm. they, business owner, you know, mother and father were together. The woman was very, she had high standards. She wasn't going to just settle with anyone. So those have been different stereotypes. But I think the way that they chose to highlight those was really tactfully done. And even... Thinking that you were going to come to America and see one thing and then get in there and you just see the reality of it. I think that was done really well. First one, coming to America is the first one. Mm -hmm. I think that was done really well where the culture shock of coming to America sat in, but also the culture of Americans was really portrayed in a way where it was respectful. Like the brothers in the barbershop, were there just kind of giving them some of that culture of what happens in in the in black neighborhoods with the barbershops. The first one was just way better. Like mm -hmm. that respect that they gave mm -hmm. black families. You know, when they looked at him and they were about to cut his hair and they were like, what do you put in your hair? Just, what is this? He's like, you know, just juices and berries. And you know, all that, like, you know, just those kind of jokes on Africans, like, right? Mm -hmm. Like not just automatically elevating them up to being this regal individual but like just mm -hmm. capping on him like mm -hmm. bringing him down a little bit and just making him like a sweeper and a janitor and somebody that didn't have all this status i think those are some stereotypes that when people come from another country they could have all of the status but still have that reality of what america is and have to adjust they could be a prince but here they're a floors washer and they have to just that or they could be a doctor in another country and here they have to come and be an Uber driver. Like I think those are some real stereotypes, but mm -hmm. I think it was done just way better in the first one. Mm -hmm. The second one was just sloppy. Like they didn't even try. Like they they just whatever they went the other yeah, you're right. Like they went the other side with stereotypes. Like they just they didn't even look for like the good stereotypes. They just went for like what they thought I guess was gonna be funny mm -hmm. and it wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. I agree. Yeah. Murphy is African-American. He's a multimillionaire. So, um, you know, he's a comedian. And this is his movie. So I don't even know if like it was intentional. Maybe the part that was intentional was just trying to level out the all the positive stereotypes about Black Americans in the first one with sort of negative stereotypes of Black Americans in the second one. I don't know. But I guess that was just, hmm, that's just what I noticed. Like, oh, wow, every single person in this demographic are displaying a lot of these stereotypes. But aside from that, I enjoyed the the movie. Um, majority of it, I enjoyed the music. Like you, you were saying, the like sort of surprise performances. At one point, it kind of almost looked like a musical for a minute. There, there's a lot of music throughout the movie. Um, it was funny. It wasn't as good as the first one, but it was worth watching. Worth watching for sure. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen it yet, please go watch it. Yes. So yeah, we're going to talk more about it next pod. So if you haven't seen it between now and next week, mm -hmm. see it and then we'll be able to talk a little bit more about it.
in detail without it being a spoiler alert. Yeah. So yeah. Last month, I joined Clubhouse. And you joined Clubhouse this month. Yes. Maybe mm-hmm. like two weeks. You may have been on for about two weeks. Yeah, it's about that. Mm-hmm. So heard a lot about Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Initially when I heard about it, I'm like, okay, this this isn't here to stay. Why am I even trying to listen to it? Didn't pay any attention to it. I thought it was more just for celebrities at first. Mm-hmm. Same here. Um, and then it became something that I heard more everyday people talking about. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, now I want to learn more about what Clubhouse is about. Like, what's the big to do? What? Why are all these people on it? Mm-hmm. I had a lot of curiosity around Clubhouse, and I was like, okay, you know, this is something that I'm hearing more about. Let me join. So I joined. Mm-hmm. Obviously went through the process. I'm going to have to nominate me, accept that for me to join, so-and-so, so-and-so. And I don't think... I fully understood everything that it was about when I first got on. Like, there were some good conversations. Mm -hmm. Like, they were talking about masculinity and just the way that men are interacting with women or even talks around money and financial responsibility. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the talks that got me into it. Since I've been on, I've enjoyed Clubhouse. So I'll say that. Like, I really enjoy the connections they haven't been any personal connections like nothing where i've met somebody and it's been like oh let me get to know you like it hasn't been that Mm -hmm. but i feel like for the purpose of exposing our brand more and learning more about social media learning more about youtube learning more about podcasting like that's been beneficial there's been some good groups around investing some good groups around marketing, just ways to share what you're doing. Like a lot of a lot of rooms become pitch rooms. I feel like mm-hmm. and then a lot of rooms where it's just like, hey, you got a couple of minutes. Tell us about what you do. You know, you have the stage. People might follow you. Check out what you do. If you have your information in the bio, so that's been cool. But there's also been like a really bigger conversation. I just don't think I have enough invested into Clubhouse for some of the things to reach me or like to kind of, I don't think I matter enough in the Clubhouse ecosystem for a lot of the conversations that are happening. Moderators, there's a lot of conversation around people being kicked off the app, like just being able to be seen. So that I connect with, Um, being a black person and being marginalized is not Like, that's not anything that I support. So any opportunity to highlight and uplift what's happening, I always take those opportunities and try to find ways to let people know about what's happening, like spread the word, whether it's on or off Clubhouse, but just like have more conversations about that. So the equity conversation of Clubhouse and how it's not really, I think the saying is like, Black people make it cool, like we build it up, and then other people cash out on it. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's an app, it's a business that is has been valued to be over a billion dollars. So it's over a billion dollar business. There's two white men who are co-founders. Like I know they have other stakeholders, but they're co-founders. So that's money, that's wealth that'll potentially 
end up going there. And I do agree with the conversations of trying to find ways to monetize the app that benefits black people. Definitely finding ways for the app to benefit black people monetarily. Um, it's a big deal because there's a lot of other apps that do that. You know, like YouTube. Like YouTube, you can build it up. Mm-hmm. And there's people there with huge followings, like have really amassed like a large platform mm-hmm. and should find a way for that to be monetized directly through the app because the app is getting... They're getting approached by people that want to do sponsorships with them or brands and businesses paying them money. Mm -hmm. So some of that money should be trickling down to the people that make it a good experience. It's been a good experience for me. I think there's a lot more cool black people on there than I've been able to meet. I feel like I'm at a conference, you know, kind of. Mm -hmm. I feel like that, like, it's taken up some of that conference time where we were able to all like be in person and learn stuff so I like I like that format mm-hmm. stage and being in the audience and being able to listen mm-hmm. um, I do want to talk more on the app so that's a goal of mine like I want to be able to you know get on the stage and share more you know sometimes that's easier in, uh, in some rooms you know sometimes that's harder in some rooms you know but that's just something that I have to learn and figure out while I'm on the app so mm-hmm. yeah I agree with you. It does feel like a conference. I think I've um, I've learned a few things while I'm on the app. Hasn't been any personal connection. But if we weren't <laughs> in our current pandemic, it wouldn't be like a situation where we're like, oh, let's link up. Let's have lunch. Nothing like that so far. <laughs> the question is, if there was no pandemic, would there be a clubhouse? That's a good question. What do you think? I have my theory. I don't want to give it all away, but I do think this is something that was created during the pandemic. I'll get into the theory later, but yeah. That's an interesting theory, yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing what you're thinking about that. But what do you think? There aren't any situations where I'm like, oh, let's meet with these people or exchange phone numbers, nothing like that. But I do feel tapped into what I consider my community. You know, I hear I hear people talking about the same things that we talk about just personally in our home or talking about the same things that I think about. I'm like, okay, this is, you can find communities of like-minded people, like-minded in terms of society, different interests. So that's what's really cool about it. And then you can learn some things. There are people who are subject matter experts. There are some people who for a living, they do certain things and they'll come on the app and, and talk about those things for free. So it's, it's a free conference all yeah. day, every day about anything. I really like that part a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I've learned a lot of tips mm-hmm. um, with investing, mm-hmm. sports cards, media, brand, marketing. Mm-hmm. Just like, you're right. I don't know who said it. Um, I, would, I wish I could remember the name. I would fully credit the person who said it, but... They were like, Clubhouse is the place where you really do get a lot of tips and tricks. Mm-hmm. Like, just like those hacks on how to kind of push forward in whatever type of industry you're trying to move forward with, or just in life. Mm-hmm. Like, little things that, hey, this has worked for me. I found this useful. Mm-hmm. Let me just share it, and that might be valuable to somebody else. So, I also really enjoy the Clubhouse lingo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm kind of building. <laughs> 
I'm kind of building my clubhouse dictionary. There's so many words that you start to hear over and over. Mm-hmm. And it's coming up more in my vocabulary off clubhouse, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Like, I'm, I'll be at work in a Zoom and just be talking about, like, adding value. In my head, I'm thinking, like, we got to reset the room. Like, you know, <laughs> I know even us, like, we, we say reset the room a lot now. Mm-hmm. Like, just talking about what's happening respectfully respectfully respectfully. (laughs) (laughs) you know what that's that that might end up being the name of this pod respectfully man it's it's really one of those keywords yeah man respectfully respectfully somebody you you said somebody in la probably created that word on there right it it sounds like somebody from la would have said that Mm -hmm. respectfully Mm -hmm. tap in Yes, mm-hmm. tap in. I say that. Now I'm, I'm saying that at work. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, we got to tap in later and talk more about this. So it's Do just, people pick up that that's like... No, no. so I, I know. So, like, everybody that I work with, we have each other's phone numbers. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's only one other person from my job that's on there. Mm-hmm. Two, two people from my job that's mm-hmm. on there. And I was, this is how it is, right? You get in and then you think everybody else in the world knows about it. And I was in a group. I asked, like, I was like, you know, have you all heard of an app called Clubhouse? Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, we don't know what that is. Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those things where you realize it's big and it's fun while you're on it, but it's still in its beta form and it hasn't reached to Android yet. So I think there's a little bit over about 10 million people on the app right now. And I feel like I'm probably following every black person on the app right now. <laughs> What's some other words? You know, you got tap in, you got I think oh, you set them off. the bio, like your um, emojis. Mm-hmm. The emoji use is something that I've started to think about when I just text people regularly. Like, oh, which emoji is going to connect the best? Because I know on Clubhouse, they always talk about like emojis are searchable. And you have to have the right emoji in your, you know, in your interest and in your bio to, like, help people more find what you're talking about or, like, find mutual interest. I found some really good groups, um, some alumni groups with the college that I went to. That was pretty cool to see that. Um, some groups with black men really just creating space to talk about issues that we experienced. That was really cool. And... Yeah, still exploring. Still, it, it's um, it hasn't been a full two months yet. It's still new. It hasn't even been a full month for you yet. So I know it's still new. Mm-hmm. Kind of went in it thinking more business like, like thinking of ways that we can help grow our business mm-hmm. and help growing our business by making connections. Um, definitely genuine connections, but more from a business perspective than a personal perspective. Mm-hmm. I think that's just where I'm at right now with it. But we'll see. You know, things change. I might be in a room with somebody who has, like, all the insurance with me, mm-hmm. and then we become trading buddies, and I'm like, yo, what what card or what sneakers are you checking for? You know, you never know. Never know. It happens. But so far, it's just been more business, more, like, investment talk, black culture, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's interesting being in a lot of rooms. One has a picture posted, and your name under the picture, it's indicated like who's speaking. Just, you know, it's not a video chat. It's basically a phone call through the app with 
a lot of with people. a lot of people like a party line. So you're either you're day. either speaking or you're listening on the phone with up to thousands of people, um, depending on the. Sometimes it's a room of like ten people, sometimes a lot more. I myself just looking at the pictures and wondering, hmm, how does this person like look in real life? You know, you have your picture up there, and you might be the speaking virtual stage. But in real life, you could be in your kitchen, like, cooking something or have your PJs on. It's just interesting, and it's, like... Especially, like, you mentioned for this being an app that's happened during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. That's also a key factor in what you're talking about, because it's a... I mean, okay, like, maybe if you live in Atlanta or Houston, maybe... It's not as closed in those, or like, you know, some cities are a little more open, mm -hmm. but in most of the places that we're living at, it's still a pandemic. Like, you're still not going to the barbershop. You're still not going to the hair salon. I cut my own hair. I'm actually, I'm really proud of my haircut. I, I cut my hair. Looks good. Um, but yeah, like, we're not really open going places, so I don't think a lot of people really look like this because where are they going for that upkeep? Like, you're not, you know, like, I understand, you know, the vaccine is out and some people have had it already. So maybe that's allowing some people to go out and do these things. But I know COVID is definitely creating a barrier around being able to live, like, 100% how you were living mm -hmm. before 2020. Mm -hmm. So... You're right, like, I don't think some pictures might have been pre-2020 pictures. Mm -hmm. um, some pictures might be current. I think my picture is a 2020 picture. Um, but you're right, like, I'm I can, I'm on the app sometimes in my pajamas. <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it is funny, like, it's not, and that's, I think that's a comforting thing for me to, like, it's like, oh, they can't see me. Like, <laughs> be as comfortable as you want, and, and nobody would know. They think you're looking very put together. confident put together. Yeah, because sure. the picture of you, you know, you're speaking, and all you see is a person's picture. It gives you more than a phone conversation because at least you see a mm -hmm. picture. But it's like this picture is kind of like your avatar. Oh yeah, the picture sure. of you is your avatar. So it's like, you know, as technology continues to advance. Just the person and the essence of the person is being separated. Okay, so do you think that this app will continue to be present once things are 100% open back up? That's what you brought up. Yeah, when you said that earlier, that, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Like, even with, like, um, the versus competition, as mm -hmm. um, things became a little more open within COVID, they started having the... Um, at, at one point, the um, like the Brandy and Monica, they were in the same room, you know, instead of people at two separate locations. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it will still exist, actually, because like you were mentioning, like you, there's some comfort in like not needing to present your full self, your full physical self there, but still people being able to see your picture sure and just associating everything that you say with this image of your most put together self. Yeah. So maybe it will maybe. still exist. I think so 
if if you're watching this and you're on Clubhouse, mm -hmm. respectfully, get as much of a benefit out of it this year as you can. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that as somebody that does a lot of in my in my professional life, right, my non YouTube life, in my my nine to five life, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. I do a lot of data work. I do a lot of research into understanding community and how people interact and like what people do um like really thinking about relationships and engagement and just get the benefit that you can get in 2021 um monetize i think that's the key word find a way to monetize it this year um just from what i'm seeing you know from from facebook from twitter from instagram um if they do what they typically do this time next year I think we're talking about a different app. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think it completely goes away. I think it's just no longer 10 million active people on it weekly. You know, like, Snapchat is still a thing. True. Um, it's just not where Snapchat was at the height of Snapchat. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it's, it's a very popular app, like, Young people use it all the time. Same with TikTok. Mm -hmm. TikTok is huge. Mm -hmm. TikTok is very popular. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also demographically different, where it's a different group of people that might see something. I think Clubhouse has the potential to still remain this popular, and it's really across a lot of different ages and demographics. Mm -hmm. That's the That's really like the cool thing that I've seen about it is... There's people on there from their teens all the way up into, I've been in rooms where 80-year-old people were speaking and dropping gems, like life knowledge, like really beneficial gems. So I think that's really like a huge benefit of it right now because it's still very cross-sectional. Mm -hmm. You can't say the same thing about those other apps. Like True. And like you said, because it's as simple as making a phone call, mm -hmm. I think that's what is really endearing to the older, you know, the older population, the older generation, um, where so like Facebook, similar, I think that's another place that's very inviting to the older, you know, the older generation. Um, but for Snapchat, I don't know how many grandparents yeah. are on snapchat i don't know how many great grandparents are on tiktok mm -hmm. i mean there might be the for you has some really funny content with older older people getting like jamming down and <laughs> like a lot of, you showed me one where there was one where there was um i think like five different lines of generations oh, yeah. and one mm -hmm. like that was pretty cool mm -hmm. so TikTok is something, I know we talked about it last episode. Um, we are going to make some leeway in TikTok. So, gonna still find a way to get on there. But just to bring it back to Clubhouse, to re to re we're resetting the room, you know, just to bring it back. Mm -hmm. um, I just wonder what it looks like when it becomes both on Android and, and, and Apple. So, that's one question. We'll see. But it does feel nice to be early on something. So mm -hmm. wherever it goes is where it goes. I'm 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 like not worried about my followers at all. I'm not worried about people like 
learning more about me as an individual. Um, but I am interested in seeing just like how it could elevate the message of what we're trying to do more and really connect with more black people, connect with more people that are just doing some really cool things in life and talking about some ideas that you don't get a chance to just be around each other and talk about. Like those are the best rooms for me. Um, in some rooms where people have talked about reparations, where people have talked about the type of conversations that we have on a, on a daily basis. So that was really, those are the kind of things I like. I like just that progressive talk, talk that you don't really get to have in a lot of spaces. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm looking forward to being on it. Um, so I do get some more benefits. One our brand is like always in the back of my mind. Like I'm always thinking about what can I take from this conversation to help build what we're trying to do? Or like, what can I add to this conversation that's gonna help someone else that can like benefit from experience that I've had? So I do, I try to do both. Um, I try to get in around other people that have expertise and ask them questions mm -hmm. that, you know, can share some tips with me of how to do things better. I know we spent a lot of time talking about Clubhouse in this conversation with the most recent things that have been coming up um stimmy hit stimulus checks are either depending on when you're hearing this it's already probably either in your bank account the check is arrived at your house or it's in the mail or it's not and then you have some issues with the irs potentially um or maybe you just made over the income threshold that doesn't put you in a position to receive it uh, for us, we are in the income threshold where we can receive it and use it and appreciate it, <laughs> um, you know, both as individuals and also as a business owner. So there's some relief coming. I guess that's always the way to look at it. It's like it is economic relief. Um, I think what I do, just to break it down, um, All right, so before we get into the individual side of things, I do want to talk to, you know, I always, like, this is, let's, okay, this is a segment. This is going to become a, a weekly segment. Okay. To my entrepreneurs out there, my business owners, I want to drop some gems and give some information. So last year, there was an early round of funding that came through the E, I think it was the EIDC, SBA.gov. And it was just like basically relief money that came because your business was affected by COVID-19. That money came out really early and there were two parts of the money. So there's one part of the money that you get and you get that money and it's yours and you don't have to worry about paying it back. Then there's another part of that money that you got and it was a, a loan that you did have to pay back. That was the EIDL, sorry. Just wanted to remember that, EIDL. Mm -hmm. So this year, um, this month actually, March, that special round of funding just came back. It doesn't have to be repaid um, if you qualify and receive it. It's not a PPE loan. Um, so it is a little bit different to that. It's connected to the EIDO money. So it's um, split in two if you apply early enough, um, if you're, which basically now, and you see this apply if you're a small business. Um, 
if you apply early enough, you can be qualified for the full amount that you, um, I think it can be up to $10,000 per employee that your um, company has that you can get that money does not have to be paid for. Um, is I think, actually, sorry, so March 1st is when that um, money became available. So you do need a few things. So you, you will need your tax information from the end of 2018. Um, so which would have been when you file um, tax year. So tax year 2019 um, through the first two months of 2021, you'll need to have your statement of earnings of which, you, which your business has made monthly from that timeline. And they'll ask you some additional questions, which are um, companies. Some people say FIN, but your federal ID identification number mm -hmm. um, of what's been established through the IRS when your company um, became official. You'll need your company's official name, so whatever, if it's an LLC, um, S-Corp, however you have it set up. So ours um, is set up as an LLC, so that's the way that I had to file. Just go to sba.gov. It should show up if you type in EIVO. Um, this is the best time to apply for that money um, because the money that you don't have to pay back <laughs> is the best money. Um, last year, I didn't hear about this until August, and by the time I applied, I was only eligible for the round of money that you had to pay back. Um, so which was cool, but um, I'm hoping to, I, I applied pretty early, so hoping to hear back from that. And I honestly just found out about this information last week. So it was after we shot our last episode. So really like just getting a chance to like, just share this information now. Um, so that's just like the special segment, like straight out small business owners, entrepreneurs, but to families, to individuals, to, there's also that stimulus money. We don't know how much we're getting. We've heard stuff. Um, we, <laughs> it's like, so that money, right? Like, I know we have a small child. Um, there's supposed to be a part of the money that you get for having a child. There's supposed to be a part of the money you get for being married. What our letter that we got, in, so right, you probably got the letter before you got the check, or you probably got the letter before you got the deposit in your bank. So we got a letter, and the amount that the letter said we were supposed to receive is not the same amount that I'm hearing people receive that also have the child and are married. Mm -hmm. So I need my answers. I'm going to wait until I see this check, but I have questions that I need answers because that money needs to match a married couple that has a child. You know, having a child is expensive, um, especially a child that's still within the age range of needing pull-ups, right? Of, you know, still having to eat specific food. They're not, you know, not quite at the age where they're just eating what you're eating. So having to buy toddler food, mm -hmm. diapers, pull-ups, the COVID money helps with that. You know, it's a relief. Mm -hmm. You know, having to pay monthly expenses. Gas is not as cheap as it was this time last year. Mm -hmm. So the price of gas definitely is a big thing. Um, food is expensive. We need our money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go down the long list of things, but you get the point. Mm -hmm. We need our money for sure. <laughs> So we haven't received ours yet. We're still waiting. Any stimulus-related news, I've been kind of keeping my eye out for. So 
hopefully we get the amount that we need based on our living situation. I feel like we're going to have to contact the IRS. So here's what happens, right? The IRS is using our income tax information from either 2018 or 2019 to determine how they get this money up. I'm trying not to give away the age of our child, but he was not born in 2018. It depends what year's taxes, because they could be using the year's taxes that doesn't qualify us, but we have a child now. So like within the last three years, like if you've experienced a life change, like you, like if you've gotten married this year or last year, you might have to contact the IRS because they're not looking at those recent life changes with how they're getting the money out. So yeah, I just want to say that to the people that, you know, if you had a child, 2019, 2020, or 2021, depending on when in the year that the child was born or depending on when in the year you got married, there's a really good chance. They don't have your best current status um, for the amount of money that you should be receiving. We need that money. We're looking forward to it when it comes. <laughs> I already got plans for a couple of dollars here and there. Definitely will invest some of the money, invest some and just save the rest. But yeah, we also got stuff that we need to spend money on. This is episode three of the Ali Family Podcast titled Respectfully. If you're a black business, if you are a black influencer, if you are a black content creator, media platform, if you're just a black person, we're definitely looking to collaborate, have those conversations, learn more about what you're doing. Our podcast will get to the point where we start to have some guests and we highlight what different people are doing through some different media platforms, kind of talk about how some of our videos used to look. Um, you kind of see that platform, so we'll definitely look to connect with you, um, depending on what you have. If you want to share some products with us that you want us to talk about, if it matches our brand and it matches what we're about, we'll definitely highlight it. Thank you for tuning in to the Ali Family Podcast. Stay blessed.